Am I on now? I'm on. Yeah, there we go. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Can I just big up Josiah and Neo? Because I have to say, hosting is really scary, and I think they're doing a really smashing job. So can we give them a round of applause, please? <laughs> um, being up the front here can be quite nerve-wracking, and I think they're doing a grand job. Um, so for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Emmy, and I head up the youth work here at Christchurch. I'm actually officially coming to the end of my first year in the job, and it has been absolutely brilliant. Relatively challenging because they are teenagers, but they are great at the same time. Um, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do this year um, with the youth work here at Christchurch. So um, for those who haven't been here, uh, we have been doing a series starting at the beginning of the summer, and I'm going to be bringing it to an end to this morning. And I have sweets, and I'm going to throw them at people to see who's been paying attention for the last five weeks. Okay, so this is for everyone, children included. So let's see who's been paying attention. Okay, so it, the first one's a bit easy because, um, thank you. Oh, no, it's still there. Okay, so who are the two sons that we have been looking at, particularly these last five weeks? So put your hands up, and I'm going to throw. Enough. Yes. Okay, right. Uh, so the next question is, I'm going to be looking at everyone. Adults, you need to get involved as well, because these are really yummy. They pull your teeth out, but that aside, they're great. Okay, so uh, which son was born first? Hands up. Who, which son was born first? Yes, Rod. Esau. Brilliant. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry, Charlotte. Okay, um, so what was Jacob holding on to when he was born? Yes, Sue. Heel. I'm really sorry for anyone over there. Oh, that was shocking. Sorry. Okay. Um, so, what did Esau look like? What were particular traits physically that he looked like? Yes. Harry, what color? Brown. Yeah, red. We say red. Red. Goodness. Right. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Uh, what was Jacob like in comparison to his brother? Not physically. I'm thinking more about personality. Uh, Barney. Yeah, so he was deceiving. Uh, was he loud or was he quiet? Quiet. Well done, Barney. Oh, 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 good. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that got a round of applause. It's a good start. Um, so what did Esau trade for a bowl of broth when he came back from hunting? Ivy. Birthright. Brilliant. Well done, Ivy. Okay, and the last question. What were the name of Jacob's two wives? The ones he actually got married to. <sighs> Owen... Oh, there's so much expensive stuff over there. Okay, sorry. It's there. It's fab. Right, okay, this is the last one. Right, okay. So, we have been spending... I'm so sorry. If anyone got hurt in that, I apologize. Um, so, we've been spending the last five weeks looking at these two brothers. And as for most of you are aware, it's been a bit of a story of ups and downs, a lot of breaking apart, a lot of arguments, a lot of deceiving, a lot of schemes... Jacob actually was told by his mother to run because Esau was really mad. And so Jacob ran away and he went and he found a place where he fell in love with someone called Rachel. And obviously he said to his, uh, her relative, if you let me work for seven years, will I be able to marry her? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And obviously seven years went and he got to the altar and it turned out that it was a completely different person and it was Leah. Okay, so he married, had to marry Leah, but then he worked another seven years, and then he ended up marrying Rachel. And all of this has happened, and lots more happened in between. But it's now got to the point where the Lord has said to Jacob, right, it's now time for you to return home. 
and he was told, right, take your wives, take your children, take your possessions up, and I want you to head back to your homeland. Okay, and Jacob seems in pretty good spirits about this because he is aware that Esau was pretty mad at him, but he was ready. He was raring to go. So he upped and he left. And there was a bit of deception again involved. He actually fled from um, Leah and Rachel's relatives and they caught up with them, but actually they eventually left on good terms. So they fled from, from where they were staying. They caught up, had a bit of a to-who about it, eventually reconciled and they left on good terms. So Jacob was in really good spirits and he was saying things like, God is with me and God will not allow harm to come with me. So as Jacob heads home, um, we are about to bring this story of Jacob and Esau to full circle and it seems that he is hopeful and that he is trusting in God's provision. He even sends a messenger ahead of him. He says, right, you go, go to Esau's camp and basically say, look, Jacob is coming, he's got all these possessions, he's got all this money, he's got all this family, and he is coming before you as a humble servant, and he is basically trying to appease Esau before he gets there, okay? So he's really hopeful, he's really looking forward to it. And so this messenger trots back, comes back, and basically says to Jacob, so, the good news is that Esau is ready to meet you. The bad news is that he has 400 men in tow. And Jacob absolutely loses it. He loses all faith and he suddenly panics. He's like, wait a minute, I forgot that I'm not only now going to a brother who's really annoyed at me still maybe, but also my brother has 400 men behind him. And Jacob absolutely loses it. He completely goes into a panic and fear. And it says in the Bible that he becomes greatly distressed and afraid. And once again, unfortunately, Jacob falls back into his old habits and he goes back into planning and scheming and thinking, how can I get myself out of this situation? I'm sure we've all done that at some point. We all suddenly think, right, what can I do to get out of this situation? Can I pretend to be ill or can I, um, I don't know, fall over and pretend to sprain my ankle or can I come up with all these excuses and this is what Jacob was thinking he's like right what do I need to do to survive this situation and once again he was completely ignoring God's provision and what God had promised him and started turning back to his old ways again his words seemed to show that he was trusting in God he was saying things like God you said that you would surely do good and that you told me that I would have ancestors that there were as many greens of sand on the shore as the, and that wouldn't be able to like, count them because there would be too many. His words seemed to say that he was trusting God, but his actions were showing the complete opposite. He was splitting his family up to try and avoid complete destruction. He was coming up with speeches and ways that he was going to speak to Esau to try and calm him down and was basically going to throw all this kind of false humility over the situation. He even sent droves, like little small parties of people ahead of him with gifts and presents and like speeches to basically try and keep, keep Esau in a good place. And then he sent his wives and his children in a completely different direction. Basically, he didn't trust that God had said that you're going to have ancestors that are countless. He didn't trust that, so he sent his family away so they didn't get destroyed. And then suddenly, after all this chaos and panic, you can imagine the panic in the party, Jacob was completely on his own. And he was left completely on his own. And empty of resources and schemes, he was cast upon God's mercy, and he was now fully alone with God. No distractions, no people around him, he was totally alone. So I asked you before I carry on, what's your reaction when things get really tough, when things get really, really difficult? Do you panic? Do you think, right, okay, creative hat on, how am I going to do this? Right, I need to think about that, I need to get that sorted, blah, blah, blah. Okay, no, this is fine, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. 
Or do you actually think, right, before anything else, I'm going to fall to my knees and I'm going to pray into this situation? And I know for myself, I'm definitely the sort of person that panics and goes into panic mode. So I ask you that before we carry on this story. In this short period of time that we're about to read into, we see that Jacob, who was completely on his own, and he doesn't have anything to conjure himself out of this, and he's lived a life punctuated with crisis after crisis after crisis, and he's always thought about how he can manipulate and deceive his way out of the situation, and he's often failed to look to God and his provision. And what we're about to see in a moment is a story of how Jacob, when he was totally alone with God, suddenly had his life transformed and realized that what he needed above anything else was God. So we see how God has actually been shaping and teaching Jacob, and sometimes through really painful lessons, and that the promises of God that had he spoken over Jacob were still to come. And it all comes to head in this one moment in time. After 20 odd years of Jacob being away from home, he is now heading back, heading back to his homeland, and he is scared. He is really scared. He's about to face a brother who he tricked and cheated and fled from, who has now said that he's ready to meet with 400 men in tow. No resources left in the tank. Jacob is panicking. And we're about to see a story of how he wrestles with God and he comes out transformed both physically and mentally. So I'm going to get Katie now to come up and she's going to read the verse. Hopefully it should come up behind if you don't have a Bible on you. So if you could please turn to Genesis chapter 32 and Katie is going to come up. Boys, do you want to give her the microphone? So yeah, if you turn to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 22 to 32. Thank you, Casey. Yeah. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. But then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Thank you very much, Katie. Well read. So we see how Jacob split up his household and he sent them off in different directions, and he was now on his own, probably suffering with anxiety and maybe he couldn't sleep and was ready to spend some time thinking about how he was going to get out of the situation and hopefully was going to spend some time in desperate prayer. But then suddenly a strange man turns up. In the scripture, it depicts that he arrived very, very suddenly and wrestles Jacob until daybreak, rudely interrupting Jacob's opportunity to try and spend some time thinking. And at some point during this weird contest, Jacob realizes that he was wrestling God. And when God decides it's time to end the match, he dislocates Jacob's hip and demands to be released. 
And Jacob, in significant pain, replies, I will not let go unless you bless me. And this response clearly pleases God, who pronounces this blessing on Jacob, saying, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and have prevailed. And then Jacob limps towards his tense reunion with Esau with a weakened body, but strengthened faith. Having wrestled with God, he now knows that his prayers regarding Esau will be answered. So a lot happens in 10 verses, and it's a very, very bizarre incident amongst this story. It ends as quickly as it starts. Um, And yet, within this very fleeting story, there is a huge transformation in Jacob. We see here that Jacob was wrestling with God, not fighting with or battling against, which often suggests that there are two parties who are wanting to destroy or hurt each other. But actually, he is wrestling with God. He is grappling, striving with God. And we see here that Jacob actually reaches a point, both physically and emotionally, that he understands what he needs above all things, all resources, all speeches, all possessions, is actually God the God of mercy, reconciliation, and a God who never forgets his promises. Jacob goes from wrestling against God to wrestling with God. So I've got a little uh, contest up, so I need an Owen and a Dave. Can we have a round of applause as they come up the front, please? (laughs) Dave, if you drag that. Just simply because there is the word wrestle in this story, it's a very tenuous link, but I thought it'd be quite fun to watch them have an arm wrestle. So we're going to do it in the middle. I tried to evenly match them. I'm hoping this is going to last longer than three seconds. We'll see. Um, so, okay, I need this side to cheer for Dave and this side to cheer for Owen. Okay, thank you. And this, yeah, so we're now going to see them arm wrestle. Are you, um, are you guys, you, you, yeah, are you guys nervous? Yeah, it's just about yes. that he's right-handed, I'm left-handed, so... <laughs> okay, this could be fun. Right, okay. So, everyone, I want to hear a big cheering after... Do you want to get into position, please, lads? Thank you. Okay, everyone cheering. Big cheers this side, big cheers this side. Three, two, one, go. Go! Apparently they want to do another one. Owen, if you lose this one, by the way, this is really embarrassing. Okay, right. So Owen wants to swap hands because he's left-handed, and apparently that's going to help the situation. So let's see how this goes. Right. Okay, three, two, one, go. Yay! Brilliant. Okay, thank you very much, lads. Okay. So, like I said, tenuous link, but there is actually a point to that. So, what is the difference between wrestling with God, wrestling against God, or not wrestling at all? So, I have, I have, um, I don't have children of my own, but I have a lot of friends who have toddlers, um, and often toddlers will wrestle, um, and often it's an opportunity for them to bond. You see laughter, you see giggling. Um, You see them rolling around, you see parents kind of on the side tentatively looking in, thinking, do I need to intervene at some point? Are they okay? They're still laughing, we're all good. However, and actually to be fair, I say that, I work with teenagers who probably wrestle more than toddlers, I don't know if you knew that, but this lot like to wrestle, I don't know why. And I always say, as long as they're not in headlocks, I don't really mind what they do. Um, But often, especially with toddlers, there is a turning point 
there's a slight turning point where suddenly one of them is just not on board for what is going on, either because they're losing or they're bored or they've got a bit hurt. But you see a turning point where suddenly the giggles and the laughter turns to crying and to frustration, and they're no longer wrestling against, with each other, but they're now actually wrestling against each other. And you see that turning point very slowly and suddenly they're no longer wrestling, but they're actually fighting each other. And actually, sometimes that can be like what it looks like when we're wrestling against God. It's a turning point, like it is with toddlers in a play fight, where suddenly you're just not on board for the way your life is going. You're suddenly not on board with how long it is taking God to fix your problems, or how long, or how God has actually laid out your life. Or you're annoyed at how God seems to be giving other people everything and you nothing. You push him away in frustration. You try and get out. You, instead of leaning on him and wrestling with him and grappling with him, you fight against the tide, which often follows what the world is doing, because it seems easier just to follow the worldly views of things. And actually, you don't want to follow his word because you feel like, actually, it's going against what you really want to do, and you become at odds with other people if you choose to follow what God has written. Or, even worse, you just don't wrestle at all. So what does it look like when you don't wrestle at all? On some level, I think we don't wrestle because we know it will cost us. Like Jacob, he limped away from the wrestling match with the Lord because his hip was injured. And while it might not cost us physically, wrestling with the Lord may cost us time and energy. It may cost us the approval of others. It may cost us a sense of independence and control. It might cost us a relationship or a habit that we enjoy. It may cost us a career or a lifestyle that we've worked on to build. The world tells us it's a lot easier to not wrestle with God at all, but to try and seek our own way of finding protection and joy and satisfaction. But what does this story tell us about wrestling with God? And how can wrestling with God lead to growth and understanding? Wrestling with God is seeking and striving for him in difficult times, clinging onto his truth in the darkest hour. We wrestle with him through prayer, with speaking out to him with our fears and frustrations, instead of speaking to everyone else and moaning, we actually look to him and think, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm really suffering with. We look to him and we speak to him in those times. We wrestle with him in his words while we try and search through scripture to find um, verses that actually speak into a moment in time of our life. Or we look to memorizing verses that to encourage or convict us. We wrestle with him through advice that is given by other people. We speak, we hear, we hear God through him speaking through other people here up in preaching or reading books and articles or through the spirit speaking through people that we know who are speaking into our lives with advice and guidance. We wrestle with him. We look to him. And even though it might feel like we're pushing against him, we're actually just engaging with him. And sometimes when we want God's comfort, he sends it in unexpected and maybe even unwanted packages. God even um, afflicted Jacob with a debilitating injury. This effect that it had on Jacob made him even more vulnerable for when he went to go and see Esau. So he was going to Esau in a more physical, weakened state than he was before. But actually, it was forcing Jacob to fully rest on God completely. And if necessary, God might cause us to limp to increase our faith. And God wants to bless us. Even at the time, it might not feel like it, Remember that actually it was God who was the initiator in this situation. He was the one who pursued Jacob. Jacob was in the middle of a panic attack, thinking about the wall of men that were coming towards him with Esau. 
And actually, to be fair, wrestling was probably the last thing that he wanted to do in that time. But it was the wrestling with God that brought him out of his own preoccupation and forced him to focus on God alone. It would have been easier for him to back down and not wrestle at all and to take the safer option. But that actually reminds me of a moment in The Wine, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Susan realizes that she's going to meet Aslan for the first time. And she's panicking and she's worried and she doesn't know what to expect. So she turns to Mr. Beaver and says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver famously says, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he is very good. And sometimes blessings will come through wrestling. And when we wrestle with the Lord, we may not find him to be safe or the safe option, but he is good. He is very, very good. So Jacob entered this night believing his greatest need was to escape from Esau, but he ended the night realizing his greatest need was to trust the blessing of God's promise. It's a great mercy to be get to that point in life where you realize that actually the thing that you're desperate enough to insist on the thing that you need the most, which is God. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible is this. It says that Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So the whole story of ups and downs that Jacob faced all leads to this point, the moment where we see two brothers that were torn apart with, from folly, schemes, manipulation, anger, fear, humiliation, all peaks to this one moment where Jacob lifts up his eyes and behold and sees his brother Esau coming towards him with 400 men with him. And Jacob is bowing to himself to the ground seven times as he walks towards his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, falling on his neck, weeping and kissing him. So reconciliation. The fear that overwhelmed Jacob was forgotten. He had been humbled and shaken to his very core before God. And now a changed man forever was facing his brother once again through the love and the mercy of a loving heavenly father. I know that I have made mistakes in the past and I've hurt family members and I've hurt friends and I've let people down. I've made mistakes that has damaged friendships. And there's nothing quite like the feeling of nerves knowing that at some point you're going to have to have a conversation with them about it or at some point you're going to have to sit down and maybe have things said to you that you, you find painful or hurtful or you're worried that you're going to bump into them at some point in the supermarket and know that it's going to be super awkward, that horrible gnawing feeling that you get. And I know I've had that time and time again. But there's nothing quite like the feeling of reconciliation when you do have that conversation and old hurts are forgotten and mistakes are forgiven. And you suddenly come out of the conversation realizing that the friendship has been renewed or the, the family member has forgiven you for what has happened. And you walk away lighter than air knowing, oh, I don't have that weight on me anymore, knowing that I'm weighed down by that guilt of that situation because he, is, he or she has forgiven me. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but it is a wonderful feeling. And reconciliation is the word at the core of the good news of the gospel. Reconciliation is the aspect of the gospel where the separation and the enmity between God and humanity caused by sin has been ended and the peace and a renewed relationship are forever established through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The me message and the ministry of the gospel is the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And so we see here in this emotional reunion between two brothers a glimpse of what is to come thousands of years later. But in this reconciliation here would be about God tearing down that wall of hostility that has existed between man and God since the very beginning and actually a restoring peace that is going to be given that was lost at the beginning. 
So that veil has been torn in two, and there's no longer that hostility, there's no longer that separation that we have been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And that peace does come through the reconciling blood of the cross of Christ. And with this, we gain a new identity, and that is in Jesus. We actually see in this story a change of identity, a change of name here in this story. God actually changes Jacob's name. He goes from being Jacob, which means deceiver, to being called Israel, which means striving with God. He was no longer to be known as the one who received his blessings through deception. This time, he had received God's blessing by prevailing with, faith, with God by faith. The struggle had turned out to be a profoundly gracious gift of restoration that God had given Jacob, not unlike the gift that Jesus would give thousands of years later to Peter by letting Peter affirm his love for Jesus as many times as he had denied it. Back then, a name meant everything. It meant it was all to do with someone's identity and destiny. The fact that God had renamed Jacob indicates that the promises and plans that God had for him were secure, and God would, in fact, keep his promises. But Jacob would have to be humbled, and we would have to be humbled. And we see how, through prevailing through submission, Jacob wrestled and finally saw that it wasn't by his own strength and his own resources but actually it was through God alone. And his, cha- his name would change better suit his position because he had striven with God and he had prevailed. And don't get me wrong, he hadn't won this contest, he hadn't won the wrestling match. If anything, it was quite the opposite. He had submitted into knowing that he needed God and that his blessings were far more valuable over any quick or smart plans. And he wasn't leaving until he received that blessing. And that's how much he knew it. He wasn't leaving. It says he didn't, wasn't going to let go until God had blessed him. That's how much he knew he needed God. He went from being a schemer to a triumphant receiver of God's blessings. So I'll ask you this now as we come to a close. What are you grappling with at the moment? Like, what are you struggling with? What in particular are you struggling to put down or to turn to God with? And are you turning to God or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you wrestling with God, or are you wrestling against God, or are you just simply not wrestling at all? It's hard not to want to take things into our own hands, and often it is when things are completely stripped away that we suddenly realize how much we need God. I know that I've had some of that in my darkest times, where nothing has been left, and I've felt like I've tried every, everything, and I've come to a point where actually I do physically fall to my knees, and I'm like, Lord, I need you. Like, all has been stripped away. And right now, I need you more than anything else. And actually, there is the difference between wrestling with and against God. There is a real fine line. But the difference is that when you wrestle against God, you pull away from the blessings that God has put before us. But when you wrestle with God, we earnestly will be seeking his word, his spirit, his blessings. Because we know that when all is stripped away and we have like an Esau-like army coming towards us, that actually is God that we all we need. We see in this story of reconciliation a glimpse of the future glory of our own redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. For it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
So I implore you to stay with him and don't give up. Don't let him go until he blesses you because he loves to bless that kind of tenacious faith. And you will come out transformed. Amen. Thank you very much.